ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And before we get into this week's topic, just a reminder that Father and I love to get feedback, but also your ideas for future topics. So if you have any of those, if you have rants, if you have raves, let us know. Um, you can or if do you just so. think that Dr. Bergwald's lonely and he needs like some emails in his inbox, go for it. I get emails in my inbox, but but not from listeners too often. So I would love to get listener email. Absolutely. And you can do that by emailing me at my email address, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org, c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sfcatholic.org. That's S as in Sam, F as in Frank, or Sioux Falls, Catholic as in the Universal Church, dot org as in organization. I think that about covers it, doesn't it, Father? I think that pretty much covers many things. Okay. <laughs> so so we are recording our podcast, as is typical, uh, not for the recent past, but generally, um, on Wednesday. And it's um, Wednesday, August, August 15th today. Why is that important, Father? Why is that notable? Because it's the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Feast, Father? The feast? solemn feast. Yes, the solemn, solemn. obligatory feast. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes, it, it is. It, it's the, uh, yes. Isn't it a solemnity? I, I plan on feasting. I Well, that's true, too. I, I, I Well, I haven't much yet, to be honest. Yes, so it is a solemnity. It is the solemn feast. It is the feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary when... Um, Mary of her own power rose into heaven, right? Uh, what? Ah! Heresy alert. Automated Actually, emails being sent to Bishop as we speak. Uh, where Mary, uh, at the conclusion of her life, was taken up into heaven by the power of God. Yes. The conclusion of her life, Father, what, that's a strange way to put it. Why it is. So why do you put it so strangely? Because Pope Pius XII put it that way in his document. Well, great, but I can't go exactly ask him right now what that means. Now can I? No, you can't. Uh, It means that uh, we don't really say whether or not Mary died or not. She may have died and then was assumed into heaven after her death, or she may have been prevented from death and just assumed into heaven at the conclusion of her life, but the church doesn't say one way or the other. Prevent. Okay, so um, uh, enough with my silly devil's advocating. Um, right, there, there are two options, and, and there are different traditions in the church. The Eastern tradition, the Dormition of Mary, says that Mary did die, but the West is a little more ambivalent. Uh, we, we, it's not clear. Um, we don't know for certain. And there's uh, one strand of theological uh, opinion, thought, that, that says that she wouldn't have died because death is a consequence of original sin, Mary, by virtue of the Immaculate Conception, the grace of God, um, and then her cooperation with that grace throughout her life, never sinned, and therefore uh, would not have died. The, the, the other tradition says, well, Mary was the, the, both the mother of Jesus, but also the perfect disciple of her son, and out of uh, imitation of her son, 
um, would have died at the end of her life, even though she was free from the taint of original and actual sin. So those are sort of the, the, the two traditions. And yeah, Pius XII in 1950, when he defined this, this the, actually, when, yeah, I'll get back to that later. When he defined this dogma, um, uh, left that ambivalent in the formulation of fathers you just gave it for that reason, because uh, at this point, we simply do not know. Very wise. Of you. Yes. So, so, so just to be clear, now he invented this teaching in 1950 then, right? Exactly. We pulled it out of the blue yeah. uh, in 1950. Yeah. No, that, this that, goes that's back. That's how the Catholic Church rolls, people. We, uh, we just, you know, uh, let's invent a new teaching. That's how we roll. Yeah. From the uh, Society for the Propagation of Stereotypes. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, no. No, so this is uh, a long-standing, I'm sure a, uh, a, a degreed theologian from such a fine institution as the Angelicum would have many fine references. I'd have just off the top of my head, going back to St. John the Damascene, uh, who wrote in, I believe, the uh, 6th century, the 500s. Uh, he was already referring to the Assumption of Mary and other of the church fathers uh, from the first half of the first millennium of the church were already referring to the Assumption as part of the life of Mary and uh, also always in relationship to her saving Son and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's not, yeah. So, all right. So, having said that, then, what is the significance of what Pius XII did in 1950? Well, I think it's very significant. Um, if you actually look at the document, and remember, too, when was he writing that? What was going on in the world in 1950? Well, something big had just ended. World Fair? World Fair? Close. Uh, that was actually 1952 was the last World's Fair. Damn. Could it uh, be yeah, World one War II? Right. One of the words there was right. <laughs> World. World War II just ended. Well, what yes. does that have to do with? What, so what? Well, you know, World War II, for, especially for Europe and uh, many parts of the Christian world, was very much a time of despair after the war. And just especially in Europe, in continental Europe, were just the sadness of what men had done to their fellow man. And uh, the document speaks very beautifully about the hope that we have in our Christian life, the hope of redemption, salvation, sanctification, and of eternal life with Jesus Christ. But, but what, did we already know that because of the ascension? Jesus ascended into heaven. What, what is it about the assumption that tells, uh, what, what didn't we know, so to speak, um, apart from the assumption. How does the assumption give us that, that hope that you were just speaking of? Well, of course, because Mary is uh, a disciple and is uh, just fully human, whereas our Lord and Savior ascended to heaven is fully human and fully divine. And so uh, in this sense, we're seeing the full fruits of Jesus' own words when he says, where I have gone, you must follow. Right, so yeah, um, Mary again, being the perfect disciple, um, was was the first of the second fruits. The no, the second of the fruit. No, after Jesus, she was taken up into heaven, as you said, because she is not God; she is merely human, albeit perfect. Right. So, by the way, the, the document that Father was referring to, uh, oh, a very exciting. Well, not exciting. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that bad when you actually get into it. Mouthful, mouthful, uh, the Latin title, Munificentissimus Deus. Say that five times fast. I can barely say it once. 
Actually, shout out to a former student of mine once upon a time about 12 years ago, Steve Skojak, a student of mine at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Steve was a senior when I had him in class, and he just, he just, it just came off his tongue like nothing. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be like that guy. And so finally, 12 years later, I am. Thank you very much. Deus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's. Uh, funk in that. Say again. That, uh, I, I might have done the George Clinton pronunciation. Might have been. Deus. <laughs> <laughs> Is he related to the president? No. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, as uh, aspiringly, I think. Uh, President Bill Clinton was related to him. Yes, by, yes, yes. Anyway, wow. Munificentissimus um, Deus was an apostolic constitution that Pius XII wrote. Um, as you probably know, dear listener, um, Latin or the title of, of church documents, the Latin is is the, the the Latin title is the first word or words um, in the Latin official text. And so in this case, this constitution begins with the word munificentissimus Deus, the most bountiful God. Um, and yeah, so in here, and one of the interesting, so in here, what Pius XII does is he, is he infallibly declares as a matter of, of, uh, Catholic faith, uh, divine and Catholic faith that, that Mary was assumed into heaven. So every Every Catholic, uh, everyone who recognizes, well, he makes it, it's, we're all obliged to accept this as a matter, uh, as a truth of faith, that Mary was assumed into heaven. But again, the father already referred to the fact that there's reference to this in the, in the early uh, first millennium, in the first centuries of the church, uh, Pius XII didn't invent this. It was also, uh, my recollection, if my recollection is correct, it was the culmination of, um, uh, a, a Pius the Twelfth issued this constitution after he had spoken, so to speak, corresponded, I guess, with his brother bishops throughout the world, and also as the response in response to a call for this declaration on the part of many members of the church, many of the lay faithful members of the church as well. So it's not as if he just woke up one day and said, "Hey." I'm going to make, define this this teaching as a dogma. No, it was the conclusion of a of a of a longer process than I think many people realize. Right, right. Uh, so what does it, so hope? Any, what else about it, Father? Uh, do you or is there any? Maybe there's not, we could just dwell on hope. Or do you have any other thing that you any other things that you like to point out about this this particular teaching? Well. Um... I've got maybe some maybe some general Marian comments uh, from Muhammad, but actually I think um, actually no something specific about this teaching. I think some biblical roots of this, since I can never depend on you to provide the biblical analysis, I was have to be dragging the Bible into it. Uh, <laughs> dear listeners, if only you could see Dr. Bergwald's face. Right um, but uh, uh, so the biblical aspect of it. Uh, last night in the vigil mass. One of the readings was from first. Ah, ah, whoa, 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 hold, stop right there, time out. What do you mean the vigil mass? The mass on the eve of the feast. Wasn't it the same as the vigil as the mass of the day? No, there's different readings. What? That is, this is one of the few um, church 
quote unquote feasts that has there is there are different um uh readings and also i think father am i right about this the the prayers the collect and so on they're yeah, also different accent. yeah so so the you know we're used to i think on saturday night saturday it's the same as sunday uh Technically speaking, Saturday night is not a vigil mass, it's an anticipatory mass. It's the same exact mass prayers and readings on Sunday, what we just say mass Saturday night because the, the day of Sunday begins that day. That's not the case, though, with the assumption with Christmas um, and with Pentecost, I think, certainly with Easter. And yeah. also uh, the nativity of John the Baptist. There you go. If I'm not so, mistaken. So I wonder, now this is, this is again, me uh, uh, pondering. I have no idea what the answer is, and we might have not time to look it up. But I wonder if all the solemnities have um, a proper vigil that is a, a mass for the evening before. Um, well, I happen to have sitting next to me my Roman Missal, M-I-S-S-A-L, M-I-S-S-A-L, for anyone from the... Uh, Homeland Security Department that might be listening to our podcast. <laughs> yes. And right here I'm looking to the uh, uh, solemn feast of all saints, and it is not present there. Uh, okay. I'm going to turn now to December 8th, which is the feast of the... December 8th, the 8th. Uh, St. Nicholas! No, no. Oh, man. The, the Immaculate Conception, pat, the patronal, patronal feast of the United States. And there is no special vigil prayers okay. for that Mass either. Okay. John the Baptist does. I was okay. correct on that. Okay. I think we'll stop there. That's fine. So, so not all. So just a few select feasts have a proper vigil mass. So, Father, I, I interrupted there just for the sake of, uh, I, I think it's interesting to note that. But you, you were saying in the, uh, at the you vigil mass last night. You me, didn't you? I love it. Anyway. So last night at the vigil mass, uh, we had a reading from First Chronicles, a different first reading than we'll have from the mass today, which is from Revelations. But in First Chronicles, we hear about how David was greatly honoring the Ark of the Covenant. In First Chronicles, David is greatly honoring the Ark of the Covenant with incense and all sorts of things. Now, it's kind of neat to know that what was inside the Ark of the Covenant, I talked about this in my vigil mass last night out at my small parish. Um, inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, right, the Law of Moses, Inside the Ark of the Covenant was also the rod of Aaron, which was turned into a snake, right? right. And then um, the uh, and then a jar of manna from the desert. So these three things, which symbolize, in sense, the Word of God, so the authority. You had the bread of heaven, and then you had the law. Now Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. That's what the church mm -hmm. is teaching us by using that reading. And because she carried within her the authority of God, Jesus Christ, right? Who but God has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus, who calls himself the bread of life, as we've all been hearing the past couple of Sundays in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, or in that sappy song. And then um, also then Jesus, who is the law, the teaching of God, right? You have heard it was said, you shall not kill, but I say to you, whoever looks at his neighbor with anger in his art has already killed him. Uh, and so 
that beautiful. And so we honor the Ark of the Covenant. And it was very nice. I lit a little vigil candle uh, uh, to be in front of our statue of Our Lady at our parish. And one of our parishioners who grows flowers, he brought in some very beautiful flowers. Uh, and both as votive offerings, like incense that David burns, that you can't get back. Right, A votive offering is something that you give to God that you can't get back. So you cut flowers, you can't stick them back in the ground, you can't tape them back onto the bush uh, when Mass is over. Uh, they're, they're there forever, and they're there till they're done. And so, but anyways, that's a whole biblical thing. What? Okay. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> nothing. You don't like my pious description of votive offerings? I... I that was uh, never mind go ahead sorry so anyways uh yes now uh why should you personally care about uh the feast of the assumption right? i don't oh well sorry well first of all uh maybe beautiful in this quote kind of went around the internet it's a good one i've never seen it in its real environment definitely seen it out of context but i think it makes sense there's a quote from saint maximilian colby uh, regarding the Blessed Mother, and St. Maximilian Kolbe was a priest who was martyred in the Second World War in Auschwitz, where he had offered his life in exchange for a, a Jewish family man who was going to be killed uh, because of an, uh, an escape attempt. Uh, but he would have a saying about Mary. He said, do not worry about loving Mary too much. You will never love her more than Jesus did. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Ain't that beautiful? It is. And his his feast was just yesterday. His did he did he he died on the fourteenth of August, didn't he? Did he not? He did, which is why his feast is on this day. Indeed. Or on that day. Yeah. And also, although it's unfortunate because most parishes don't end up ha- celebrating his feast mass. Right. Uh, because uh, they're usually worried about vigil masses. Although I did say the mass that morning, because uh, it's a nice mass and things like that. So <laughs> It is. It is. So, anyways, uh, so then what about our own hearts then and this love of Mary? What do we mean by this? Well, I, I think uh, I had lunch, uh, or actually tea, I should say, the other day. Uh, yes, in honor of the Olympics in London, I had tea. Well, crumpets? <laughs> no, no crumpets. No crumpets, all right. But I had tea with uh, two uh, nice young women uh, who are sisters by blood uh, and also sisters in faith, which is even more beautiful. And uh, they uh, originally from South Dakota, but now one of them works as a missionary out of the East Coast with a group called Generation Life uh, that does kind of uh, theology of the body teachings for high schoolers and things like that. And the other one is with a religious order uh, over in Italy. And so we're talking and just uh, we're talking about the need to be like hearing and listening to God. Uh, it was very beautiful. And they just it was just very beautiful watching her talk about that. And as I was kind of praying, as I was listening, I kind of realized, like, well, here's the spirit of Mary sitting right across from me. Hmm. Right? Here's the spirit of Mary, right? Attentive and prayerful receptivity to the word of God. Uh, Mary uh, heard the word of God speak to her. Uh, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. You are to conceive in your womb and bear a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she says, fiat, let it be done to me according to your word. Um, and so that, that, that spirit of Mary, that receptivity, and that's, if anything, what the church needs right now, right? All these people that say, what does the church need? What does the church need? Does the church need to get with the times? Does the church need to be more Republican, more Democrat, 
what does the church need? The church needs to be more like Mary right now. Mm-hmm. And always. For that and always. Yeah. And always. Yeah. You can always try to be more like Mary in that way. In that uh, way, as that fruitful soil, thinking of like that parable of the, uh, of the sower and the seed, right? And Jesus tells that parable in the Gospels where he sows seed on ground and some of it falls on uh, rocky ground or thorn-choked ground or a hardened path and it, it never comes to fruit. Some of it grows on fruitful, receptive soil and bears fruit 60, 80, or 100-fold. Right? And that's, that's what we need to think of with our hearts. Are we cultivating that spirit in our hearts? And that's a Marian spirit. That's a feminine spirit. Mm-hmm. That's a feminine characteristic that the church needs. How does the church need women? It needs that, that feminine characteristic of, of church life. Uh, and there's a beautiful quote, uh, and I use this in my homily. Maybe it's a little long. I won't go into full here, but it's a quote from Pope Benedict um, regarding this Marian spirit. And he's, uh, this is from before he was Pope. Um, and uh, just where he talks about the, how we're really dominated in our Western world by a masculine principle, a masculine spirit. Do you have an idea what that kind of means, Chris, that masculine spirit? Or? Uh, I, I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> you look bored. Well, since I'm male, I kind of... Are you? Am I supposed to chime in here, or was that to see what was? It was interesting before you. Well, okay, I'll answer your question. Um, activity, action, doing, getting things done, figuring out a plan of action and carrying it out. And by golly, we're going to fix this. Right, which I mean isn't necessarily bad, but it's bad when it's in isolation. Exactly, it's it's it, 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 it's good. As long as it's as long as it's balanced by the equally important and necessary feminine. So please go ahead. Yeah. What was funny though? You were thinking. Well, before you got into this, and 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 before I um, I was reflecting on what I, I I've seen some people Catholics, but also Protestants speak about how. Um, you know the the our our, our the, the traditions the spiritual traditions of Protestantism, and again, both Catholics and Protestants have said this, t- it tends to be very much masculine and needs to be balanced by this Marian dimension. So it, it was just sort of, I was thinking along those lines before you sort of brought it up. So, Right. Know. Well, thank you. And uh, I also think this is something uh, we could actually, I'll, I have an idea about uh, a different topic that relates to this. But we'll save that for the end. Okay. So we have this Marian spirit, right, that we need to call it, or this masculine spirit, which we're dominated by. Um, and Pope Benedict would say that it views the church then as almost like a technological device that we plan and make with our own cleverness and expenditure of energy. You know, we think about and and like you know technology in like the modern sense of the word, like my iPad with all the apps and things like that. By the way, I broke my iTouch last night. Oh, incidentally. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so things like that would build up or just any technology, like a house is a technology. We don't think of it in that way, but a car is a technology. Any of these things are kind of technology in that way. But then he, he pulls out this quote from uh, St. Louis de Montfort quoting the prophet Haggai. You do not, you do much, but nothing comes of it. And we talk about that weariness that we feel in the modern world, in the Western modern world. We feel weary that we're always doing, doing, doing and never bearing fruit. Yes, 
Yes, absolutely. I think we even have prior ignition podcasts about that very topic. Indeed. So. Indeed. So the solution then is that Marian receptive outlook, right? Uh, and he says that the church then to view herself as the living seed of God that must be allowed to grow and ripen. That is why the church needs the Marian mystery. That is why the church herself is a Marian mystery. We will only be ourselves if we're living that Marian mystery. There can be fruitfulness in the church only when she has this character. And she becomes holy soil for the word. Hmm. So this feast should be an inspiration for us right, to become holy soil for the word, to examine our life. Are we being holy soil for the word? Right. What are, a, sorry. Go ahead. So what are some, what are some, <laughs> to get back to, so concretely, what do we do? But, but, but seriously, yeah. How do we do that? What does that what is, what does that look like, or what are some w- different ways that we can? Well, I, I think w- one way that we see it, especially I think very explicitly, is our fear or our devaluing of prayer time. Mm. We don't value just being in the church and reading the Bible, or we want to judge it sometimes too. Why well, sat there for five minutes and nothing happened? Oh, you know. Right. Um, you know, th- think about, you know, uh, Mary didn't become the mother of the Christ in the first moment of her birth. Right. right. She was 13, uh, 15, 16 years old, whatever it was, when she, 18 years old, when she became the mother of the Savior. Right. Uh, and so it's not necessarily instantaneous, but just have that conviction to go and sit and wait and be with God, to expose yourself to the scriptures, the sacraments, the conditions of prayer like the rosary. Um, to get away from all pardons uh, being issued, to get away from the Knights of Columbus Rosary, right? And I by which I don't mean a physical rosary, but a style. Gotcha. The auctioneer rosary, maybe be better. There we go. And so, um, right. So I think that, that that those are two. I mean, they're practical ways, and it's it's the real sense of. It's, it's kind of a counterintuitive practical because we might sit there in prayer and nothing happens, so it seems very impractical. Well, there's nothing more practical than you can, that you can do than to sit there and to seek to receive the word. Right. The other Just, thing yeah, is, go ahead. As the, the, the image that comes to my mind is resting in the word, abiding in the word, just submersing ourselves in, you know, we've talked before about Lexio Divina. That's yep. it's one way to do this, I think, where you're just... You're, you're, you're slowly reflecting, meditating, praying on maybe uh, something from the readings from Mass that day, or if you're reading through the Bible, a passage that strikes you, or, or whatever it is, but, but from the Word of God in the sense of the Scriptures. Right. Um, and and allowing, even if you're not ready for that, just to read Scripture. Right. Even if you're able to like, do it in like a, I can do it in a prayerful way. Well, that's fine. Just read it then. Yep. You know, 15 yep. minutes of Scripture a day. Yep. Read through the Gospels, right? Memorize the Gospel of Mark at some point. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Second thing would be then repentance, confession. Helps clear you of those things that kind of get in the way. That'd mm-hmm. be the thing to do. There's a beautiful line um, from the preface uh, for the Mass Day, both of the Vigil and the Mass of the Day. It's the same preface. But this is the prayer right before 
uh, the priests and the people together sing the holy, 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 or the sanctus. Um, it says, uh, Rightly, Lord, you would not allow her to see the corruption of the tomb, since from her own body she marvelously brought forth your incarnate Son. Uh, and so that own way to aspire in our own hearts in this way to bring forth the incarnate Son of God, and so to then share in those same fruits. It's a beautiful thing to aspire to on this feast day. Amen. Amen. So it's not, yeah, I mean, every, of course, the liturgy is, is first and foremost, maybe our, so it's what we, what we offer to God, um, the sacrifice of his son. Um, at the same time, um, it's his giving of himself to us, his grace, sacramental grace, the body and blood of his son. Uh, and, and so the, the, the every, every mass has some, something for us and and the the marian feasts in particular um the teachings have have say different things to us as you were saying at the very beginning about hope and so on that we that we can know just as mary um who was human and not divine um was assumed into heaven so too if we have faith in her son as she did we can also um God willing, by his grace and our cooperation, uh, be assumed into heaven, body and soul, at the end of time. Amen. Amen. So, thanks, Father. You're welcome. Happy feast day. Happy feast day. We'll be back next week with another episode of Ignition. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ignition. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future topics, you can email me at cburgwald at sfcatholic.org. That's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Again, thanks for listening.